There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. The Suicide of French Vivi was a shock. but not shocking. There was no rush and no fuss, just sadness. Felicity would state, I made a cup of tea and took it to the bedroom. The door was half open. I saw Madame on her back with her feet on the floor and with one shoe and stocking off. I said, Madame, Here's your tea. I touched her hand. She was dead and cold. Descending to the Globe Club on the first floor. In broken English, Felicity stammered, Madam Dead. As hysterical as anyone who had found their friend of 15 years, deceased. Seeing her distress, Charles Bull, the manager, Joseph Phillips, the doorkeeper, and Lance George, an actor, entered the bedroom of flat one on the third floor of 3-4 to four Archer Street and saw her body, at peace, on the bed. With Soho being a place synonymous with sex, the suicide of a prostitute was not an uncommon sight, given the stresses of their lives. Charles Bull alerted a constable. P.C. Hill secured the scene and summoned a doctor. Dr. Rhea Frith Street pronounced life as extinct, and as her cause of death had to be determined, a suicide was still a criminal offence. The CID of Vine Street were called in, With the investigation headed up by Divisional Detective Inspector John Edwards and Chief Superintendent Walter Hambrook. The crime scene was assessed methodically. The door to Flat One was examined by a locksmith who determined there was no tampering, no damage, and no signs of a break in. The flat had three keys. One for Fifi, one for her maid, and one for the landlady, 
all of which were accounted for, with Fifi's found in a handbag in the bedroom. With the light switches to the hallway in the bedroom in the on position, a shilling in the meter, but both light bulbs off. It was assumed she had died with the lights on, only for the money to run out. As a spotlessly clean flat, it was clear what had been touched since the maid had left 36 hours prior. The ashtray contained several stubs of spent cigarettes of different brands belonging to herself and the men she may have entertained that night, as well as one plate, one knife, one fork and one cup, all used for a last meal before bed, with an oily pan on the hob and a pot of tea on the kitchen table, half drunk and cold. Found days later, witnesses came forward and pieced together her last known possible movements. A chat with the doorman at Max Club on Great Windmill Street at 2am and a black coffee at the Old Friars Cafe in Ham Yard before she left and headed one street east to Archer Street. Both witnesses confirm she was alone and she seemed a little lonely. But she didn't seem harassed and no one was following her. Speaking to her friends, no one recalled anything suspicious in the days prior. No threats, no stalking, and no unusual levels of assault for this struggling sex worker with debts to several local businesses. Speaking to the building's tenants proved equally as fruitless. As with both clubs, the Globe and the Cairo closed. The communal street door was locked at midnight. The second floor was vacant, and the fourth floor flats were uninhabited. All the police could rely on was the account of Millie Warren, her neighbour in flat two. At 1am, I passed her door, Minnie would state, and I noticed her hall light was on. This was unusual. I shouted to her, but I got no reply. At 2am, in a taxi, I came back with a friend, William Charles Hill, known as John Cow. He spent the night. We stayed up until about 4.30am, and we heard nothing. In the bedroom, there were no signs of disturbance. Her coat was on the chair. Her drawers were shut. Her ornaments were on the dresser. Her wireless radio was where it sat, as determined by the slight bleaching of sunlight. And the curtains were open, roughly 12 inches. Meaning that at the time of her death, her bed and her body was illuminated by either a single bulb above or the streetlights on a time circuit. Had this been an assault, a sense of panic and fear would have pervaded the room. But it was entirely calm. Her 
her body was positioned as expected. As having sat on the bed's edge to remove her stocking, she had tied it about her neck and fallen backwards, leaving her feet on the floor and her head on the pillow. Her clothes were neat and undisturbed. Her brown tweed skirt still fastened with a safety pin. Her underwear, blue silk cami knickers, a pair of woolen knickers and a white woolen vest hadn't been interfered with. And off her white linen and satin suspender belt was a fake silk stocking on her right leg. As off her left leg, a stocking had been unclipped and carefully rolled down without a tear, run or rip. As she had then placed her blue cord shoe under the bed. Tied twice about her neck, those who found her body didn't see the stocking as it was concealed by a grey woolen jumper. As seen in traumatic deaths, often the deceased dies with their last expression etched on their face, a hint of shock, fear or tears. Whereas Fifi's face was the epitome of peace, like her pain had been erased. By the night's end, she looked as she had at the start. Her lips rouged red, her eyelids brushed black, her short brown bob kept in place with a set of Kirby grips, and her claw-like fingernails unbroken. With no suicide note found, her mood was determined by the detritus of worry which littered her bedside dresser. Post office receipts to send her lover Jimmy a few pounds to aid his recovery from heroin addiction. And her final fine and court summons for the crime of prostitution. At 1.50pm, Divisional Police Surgeon Charles Burney undertook a preliminary examination of the body in situ, ensuring it was neither touched nor moved to preserve any evidence, no matter how small. The stocking was tied about her neck using a half-hitch knot. A common but carefully considered load-bearing knot, which, once she had started to lose consciousness, which would have occurred early given her low blood pressure, she would need a knot which retained its position as her hands and body went limp. Dr. Burney would state that with a few of her hairs and her grey jumper's tassel tangled within, it is possible that it was caught up in the knot while she was standing or sitting. It was tied by a right-hander. Fifi was right-handed and she died clutching the stocking in her right hand. Initially, her cause of death was most likely asphyxia. She had been dead for 8 to 10 hours, putting her time of death at between 4am and 6am, although rigor mortis is delayed in cases of sudden death. And when asked for a suspected motive, Dr. Burney would state, 
It was probably a case of suicide. But when asked how certain he was, he would state, it was 50-50. At 6pm, as the body of Josephine Martin was moved to Westminster Mortuary, the press had begun sniffing about the death of a prostitute in the seedy underbelly of the West End. Extra, extra, read all about it. Italy's big push in Abyssinia. Was the headline in the Daily Telegraph as the Second Italio-Ethiopian War raged on. With a British election looming, the Evening Standard went with New MPs announced. And as the tabloid motto is, if it bleeds, it leads, the press was salivating over the grisly murders of Dr. Buck Ruxton, a murder so savage that having mutilated their bodies into so many pieces, the press had dubbed him the Savage Surgeon and his crimes as the Jigsaw Murders. The death of French Fifi was deemed so unimportant that the small articles reporting the case were deeply hidden in the newspapers. And they would have been binned had it not been a slow news day. Keen to play up the salacious angles, the press slathered over any fact to make this dull story drip with intrigue. That she was French, unmarried, and a prostitute. They drooled over every detail about the stocking, the flat, and her habits. And they even added their own flourishes, like artificial respiration was tried in vain, which was untrue. They did anything to make it exciting, as suicides don't sell newspapers. In the Daily Herald, dated the 5th of November 1935, it read, Woman's Death Mystery in West End Flat, strangled by her own stocking. Scotland Yard officers investigating the death mystery of a woman in a Soho flat had not ruled out the possibility that she had been murdered. The autopsy to determine a cause of death was still taking place. And yet this detail was enough of a seed to plant a hint of a mystery of a possible murder. With the public only able to get their facts from newspapers, by the time the witnesses to Fifi's last sightings were unearthed, their information had already been sullied by what they had read. Interviewed days after her death, the doorman and the cafe owner were deemed reliable witnesses, although it couldn't be determined if they had actually seen her on the night of her death or hours or days prior. 
Witness statements are notoriously flawed, often being riddled with elaboration, confusion, fibs, false facts and downright lies. As everybody has their own reason to aid an investigation. Some may be good Samaritans, simply keen to do what is right, whereas others are in it for fame, spite or personal gain. Head waiter at the Criterion restaurant in Piccadilly Circus stated he saw French Fifi with two women in the grill room at 3.30 a.m. This turned out to be an entirely different French brunette, as by that point, she was already dead. Taxi driver Charles Branch confirmed in his logbook that at 1.30 a.m. in the night in question, he picked up a small woman from 3 to 4 Archer Street, drove her to Caledonian Road near King's Cross, where she waited for a man. He drove them both back to her address, and they both entered via the street door. He later stated, Owing to her mannerisms, it struck me at the time that something was wrong. The police would determine that she had climbed the stairs to the third floor and entered her flat with the man. Only this woman was Millie Warren, her neighbour, and the man was Millie's friend, William Charles Hill. And then there was Sidney Bloom, a Jewish seller of contraception to prostitutes in the West End, who had volunteered information that between 9.15pm and 10pm he had seen Fifi on Glasshouse Street with a man. But being described as an incorrigible rogue with nine convictions for larceny, he had offered his assistance to the police, having first informed them of his own impending trial. A tit-for-tat scam he had done several times prior. Discounting his sighting, Sidney Bloom was later sentenced to four months' hard labour. On Tuesday the 5th of November 1935, at 11.30am, the autopsy began at Westminster Mortuary, conducted by Home Office pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury, in the presence of the police surgeon Dr Charles Burney, and Divisional Detective Inspector John Edwards. In it, the following was agreed. Time of death. Difficult to determine as the heating was meter-powered and the window was partially open, making the room temperature inconsistent. The body was rigid and putrefactive gases were felt beneath the skin. Therefore, this would place a time of death nearer to the hours of 1am and 3am. The deceased was healthy, with no natural disease to account for her death. She was small and often sickly, but she was well developed and could have put up a good resistance to an attack. With no torn clothing, no bruises to her thighs, and no semen inside her vagina. 
there is no indication of any recent act of sexual intercourse or any attempt at the time of her death. Some recent and old bruises, but nothing within the last day. But later found, hidden amongst the purple swelling of her neck, was a fresh bruise to her left jaw. Although given the abuse that prostitutes often endure, the police would later state, try and find a West End prostitute who doesn't have bruises to her face and neck. In her kitchen, she had made a last meal for one, but with her stomach only containing a brown liquid, most likely tea, and tomato or apple skin not found in the flat. With no trace of a fried egg in her gastric juices, either she had eaten them earlier that night, or someone else had eaten the eggs. Both doctors confirmed that her cause of death was asphyxia by strangulation. As her larynx was crushed, her tongue was swollen, her eyes protruded from their sockets, and she had wet herself. But Sir Bernard would query, if she had died by ligature strangulation, I would have expected to see more lividity. Her face was at peace when she died. But he would state, that is no guide as to whether it was murder or suicide. Having been photographed, the stocking was removed and sent to the laboratory. Twisted taut, bound twice, and tied tightly about her neck, the stocking had been fastened with a half-hitched knot under her right ear, suggesting it had been secured by a right-handed person, like Fifi. And although the suddenness of her unconsciousness could account for the lack of scratches or struggle, Sir Bernard would comment, she had either died or was at the point of death when the ligature was tied. After the hand was removed from the neck, she gave a gasp or two. The bloodstained mucus in the airways was then inhaled. Vomit got into the airway, and the stocking was passed around her neck twice, tied in a half hitch, and held for a while. When found, the ligature was tight and secure. Of that, Sir Bernard would quip, I have never known a woman to strangle herself with her own hand. Partially obscured by the stocking and its ensuing swollen wounds, bruises were later observed. Four fingers to the right of the neck and a thumb mark to the left. Being larger than her own, their origin was impossible to date for a prostitute who had recently been attacked by a foreigner who had got hold of her throat. At the back of her bloodstained mouth, having bitten her tongue, her dental plate of four teeth mounted on vulcanite 
was found shattered into three pieces. Possibly linked to the bruise on her jaw, Sir Bernard would state, In my opinion, the breaking of the dental plate is indicative of murder. And with hemorrhages in the bladder, intestines and rectum, it was clear a knee had been pressed hard on her abdomen. With so many variables, like whether her injuries were the result of two different assaults on the same or separate nights, an assault which led to her suicide, or an attack which led to her murder. Although Dr. Spilsbury was emphatic, this was a homicide. Dr. Burney was torn, as this still could be a suicide. The two experts would debate this for the next three weeks, leaving Detective Inspector Edwards to conclude his report of the 9th of November 1935, as the whole circumstances of the case are mysterious. The police needed time to compile the evidence to find the truth. They had several possible suspects. Henry V. Martin, her ex-husband by a possible marriage of convenience, was later traced to America, having not seen her for more than a decade. Albert Mechanique, her brother, had an alibi for the night of her death, and although dubbed a common criminal who was always in debt, it made no sense for Albert to murder his sister as she had financially been supporting him for the last few months. As for her lovers, Cesar Mary was in Brussels at the time of the murder, and although he had stated, it was French Fifi who put me away, he was neither angry, upset, and even after his deportation, he had never made any threats against her. As for Jimmy Orr, he had arrived at Caldecott Hall in Nuneaton two days earlier to begin his drug detox. And as confirmed by his doctors, he didn't leave the premises until he was made aware of her death. With no regular clients and those she was in debt to being friends, the police interviewed hundreds of witnesses, suspects and anyone with a history of violence against prostitutes but they came up blank. The public fed them their suspicions, usually ex-lovers and former friends, in the hope of getting them into trouble, as well as the usual bigoted band of society's villains who were blamed for everything simply because they were different, such as foreigners, gays, Jews, bohemians, the insane and the disabled. With nothing new to say, the police went quiet. And with nothing new to report, the press went into overdrive 
6th of November, the Daily Herald. Silt stocking riddle baffles police. Nearly two days after the discovery of the body, Scotland Yard are unable to state how she died. Acquaintances of French Fifi told us they had always feared that sooner or later she would be killed by some man. The source of that quote was never found, and by that point, her death was still listed as a suicide. The Herald incorrectly wrote, Detectives believe that robbery was the motive. Friends declare Fifi had large sums of money in her flat, which was untrue, as she was broke and only one P was found. The Evening Standard also declared £9 gone from stocking of dead woman. And although her friends would confirm, she kept her money in the heel of her left stocking. It is impossible to say how much she earned or what had happened to it, whether it was spent, stolen, sent to Jimmy and subsequently lost. Or as the police suspected, it is possible that it may have been stolen by those who had found her body, most of whom were criminals. Awaiting the outcome of the autopsy, the press wrote about plainclothed officers patrolling Soho, suspicious men being followed, and unverified quotes by mystery sources about imminent arrests. But as the days of radio silence turned into weeks with no solid facts, the press needed to find a fresh angle to keep their readers interested some of which was born out of a tiny nugget of truth. The press had already decided two things. One, that she had been murdered. And two, as the police intensified their search of scores of cafes and nightclubs in the West End, in an intensive combing of the underworld, that a murderer must be local, working class, possibly foreign, and a known criminal. One day after her death, the Daily Herald declared, We understand that the woman was believed to have given evidence, which, this year, had led to a sensational court case. Of course, there was no record of that court case, no mention of it in her police files. And not one single newspaper reported this sensational court case in the months prior to her death. But if you print it, the people will believe it to be fact. On the 27th of November 1935, the people stated, Death of French Fifi baffles Scotland Yard. Was she the victim of a gang of white slavers? Some believe she made statements which led to their arrests. Now this was true with César Mary, but as a French prostitute, there was no known evidence that she was ever trafficked. On the 1st of December 1935, the Sunday pictorial, a sleazy tabloid rack raised the stakes 
stating, French Fifi was a white slaver, murdered by gang because she knew too much, which there was no proof of. But given the fact that she was already dead, they could print whatever they liked, even if it was entirely false. The article read, French Fifi had an amazing career in the underworld, which the police are now fully aware. This was a lie. She is said to have been an agent of a gang of white slave traffickers. She wasn't. For months, Scotland Yard has been waging war on marriages of convenience. This was true, although her only known link was her suspiciously short marriage. And some days before French Fifi was found murdered, a Scotland Yard inspector called to see her to obtain information about gang members. The gang had communicated with her as letters from one of its members were found in her flat. French Fifi had undoubtedly paid the penalty for knowing too much. And yet, not a single shred of what was written could be proven. For simple-minded readers of such tabloid trash, who couldn't comprehend that a newspaper's role is as much to inform as it is to entertain, a basic fact had entirely passed them by. If Fifi was a white slaver, why was she so poor? Why did she work alone? And why did she still sell her body for sex? After three weeks of deliberation, Sir Bernard Spilsbury and Dr. Charles Burney resolved their findings into the autopsy of Josephine Martin, alias French Fifi. Reopened on Tuesday the 26th of November 1935 at 2pm, the inquest into her death was held at Westminster Coroner's Court. With several witnesses giving evidence, including her friends, Frida Martin, Clara Bennett and Lily Hayes, her neighbour Millicent Warren and home office pathologist Sir Bernard Spilsbury. The inquest was concluded the same day, with the coroner declaring her death was willful murder by person or persons unknown. Although the pathologist would state this is a likelihood of probability, not a cast iron fact. With no suspects to be questioned and no eyewitnesses to her murder, both the investigation and the inquest were closed. Just like Jack the Ripper, three miles east and almost 50 years earlier, the murderer of French Fifi had fled unseen, leaving no clues as to his motive or his identity. Having vanished into thin air, it was as if he didn't exist. And with this death, initially mistaken for a suicide, no one knew that this was the first fledgling killing 
by a serial killer who had stalked the sex workers of West London's Red Light District. By 1935, the Soho Strangler was nothing, being barely a whisper on the breeze. But with his killing spree just beginning, soon this man would become a monster. A sadistic slayer who would unleash terror onto the streets, making him as infamous in his day as Jack the Ripper. And then, be forgotten. Part 3 of The Soho Strangler continues next week. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Oh, that was a harder one to say. I gave myself too many big, big sentences to say and some big paragraphs. Oh, dear Lord. Oh, oh I'm going to get rid of all my high-tech equipment. You sometimes see on uh, people post videos of their high-tech equipment when they're doing their podcasts. They go, I want to come on high-tech equipment. Oh... Um, mine is uh, a couple of boxes with a laptop on top, a microphone on top with my little shield, and then some uh, some pillows behind the curtains to stop to stop the sound of those fucking coots. Oh, they haven't been too bad today. Haven't been too bad. They've uh, 
they've been relatively quiet except 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 sometimes they just seem to they do seem to mouth off all day oops mouth off all day and you just think why why is this what you do you just hump all day you just go oh i need to need to have sexy time they are the they are the uh the uh wildlife equivalent of eva so demanding anyway it's a nice day oh have i said welcome to extra mile i don't think i have welcome to extra mile unscripted unedited blah 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 uh we do some quiz a quiz in a bit i tell you some extra stuff uh and then i go away and then i go away to the coffee shop although i'm going to go to the try and go to post office today because i've been trying for ages to send some parcels to america but because I mean, it, what, we're not going to say it was Russia, but it was Russia who did the uh, the cyber attack on the Royal Mail. Uh, I haven't been able to post those. Now. I think that's it. I think Putin didn't want me to send some mugs to America. Yeah, he's he's terrified of uh, me sending mugs to America, so he, he deliberately stopped it. Utter bastard. Anyway, I'm, I'm still trying to sort out my pillow here. There we go. I'm just putting the the covers back on them. There we go. God, it's cold out. It's cold out. Um, it, yeah, it's cold out. Uh, let me take off your little hat. There you go, your little hat's off. And let me go and make a cuppa, because it's bloody cold and I need a cup of tea. There we go. And of course, exactly like last week, I did it again. I forgot to thank my Patreon subscribers. It's because I put it on a piece of paper. I put it on a piece of paper on a different file that I don't normally use. Oh, what an idiot. Anyway, I would like to thank this week, Rachel Hammond, Madeline Hartley, and Dawn Raymond. So thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you, Dawn, for becoming a patron subscribers. I hope you're getting all the lovely goodies that comes with being a patron subscriber. And uh, hopefully uh, you've got your goodies in the post. So uh, let's return back to the show. And a little bit of water. I don't want much. So I'm going to be in. I'm going to be abusing Starbucks very shortly, having their decaf soya latte. Oh joy! It's nice. They stay open till eight, and they don't mind me sitting there, which is very nice. So uh, uh, let's do let's do a herbal tea. Herbal tea. So here we go. That's it. <sighs> Got to remember to take my post in a bit. Remind me. I just knocked over a picture. Remind me to take over uh, my post to the post office. I knocked over my little Christmas tree as well. There we go, right. Oh, so, what else is going on? Uh, I've, I've spent most of that recording burping the smell of uh, crab sticks. That was my lunch, crab sticks. I'm gonna put my little hat on, because I'm cold, because I've got a baldy head and I'm cold. Crab sticks and mini cheddars, yummy. Uh, naturally I'm sitting here in the boat it's too early to put on a fire so I've got my pyjamas on a woolly top on top a woolly hat, fingerless gloves and I'm just about to warm myself up with a tea sometimes I, I uh, grab myself a uh, hot water bottle as well god my life's exciting isn't it wow Whoa. Uh, what else is going on uh, there's a man who keeps he walks along the canal he's got a big bag of bread and he keeps throwing bread for all the birds but he keeps forgetting like all all the seagulls come around and they go all oh, great birds and he's like oh look at me i'm a friendless man but i've made friends with all these birds but he keeps forgetting that you give them bread and then they shit all over our boats utter bastard Ah, oh, what else is going on? Um, working on some new uh, videos. If you're 
patron subscriber they're on there got some ones that i pop on uh the the old tiktok as well very good i i had to learn to use a new system called canva and uh it's really annoying because you can you can, it's it's not a proper editing tool it's slightly frustrating and you can only add one kind of sound to it which i normally like lots of sounds and it's confusing how it's edited but i've i've worked out a secret way of making it work and i'm very proud with my latest my latest version it was all right considering not not too bad so uh water's still heating up let's do some quiz questions uh we'll do the answers very shortly and we'll dive into some extra stuff i hope you hope you're enjoying the uh Soho strangler um different very different to what i've done before um you'll understand more as you go through the series because normally with like blackout ripper you've got one you're following like one murderer throughout but this is this is different this is five different murder cases uh and it's uh, they're very different in their own way but they're connected as well so it's it, you really this isn't like one where you just go oh look there's the murderer and you just follow him. you've got really got to put your hat on for this one this is uh because it's a very complicated case and it takes us into like some really weird worlds and you, you see a, a different side to what we've normally seen before which is what why i like this case you know it starts with something that as simple as a possible suicide which in the end they kind of deduce it could be a murder it's most likely to be a murder but we can't definitely prove it uh and then it, it becomes uh more complicated as we go through this it, it really it does become a really interesting case anyway that that was just waffle let's do some quiz questions uh my tea's about to go in a second quiz question number one here we go uh what color was fifi's court shoe so the shoe she was wearing she's wearing court shoes what color were they question number two what was the name of the man who sold condoms to sex workers question number three on what street did charles branch the taxi driver claim he had picked up fifi and a tall man question number four uh, how were fifi's fingernails described uh question number five uh what was the name of the first pc to attend the scene that looks like my uh tea's out to go I mean, I made it too hot, which is a bit stupid. Oh, I got an apple pie for later on. Yeah. Uh, I made my tea too hot, so I, I'll slurp this in a bit, and then I'll, I'll say the words, oh, it's too hot, burning my lips, and then... <sighs> stupid. Although I am drinking it out of my out of my Blackout Ripper mug, of which I think that's the, one of the last ones now. Yeah, it is the last one. I've got some Stay Safe Eat Cake mugs. I've got some Reg Christie mugs. And I've only got four PC Police Constable Arsenal Guinness mugs left. Oh, right. Uh, where was I? Uh, question number six. How much money was found in Fifi's handbag? Question number seven. How much money was in the electricity meter? Question number eight. Millie's friend william charles hill went by what alias question number nine what color was fifi's jumper and question number 10 uh why is it likely that she passed out early 
having been strangled. As always, I've kind of half written those questions. I I, I admit I'd, I'd finished writing it, then I, I I went, oh shit, I need to do the bloody quiz questions. So I had to kind of dive into them quickly. Ugh. Normally, when I'm rewriting the script, normally I do the questions then as I'm rewriting it, but I forgot this time. Still getting used to doing podcasts again. Um, so what have we got? Let's let's dive into some of the witness. This is something that we dive into more in this case of how you know just because someone says something someone says they've seen something doesn't mean it's truthful it doesn't mean it's 100 percent cast iron and you have to accept it this is what i really want to get across in in the soho strangler case you can see it with this is what i'm implying with the jack the ripper case jack the ripper there's not a lot of any ev- evidence out there but what we do have is what was written by the press and the problem is when you start getting all the press's details together of the same event and you put them side by side you realize that it's it's not verbatim it's not fact it's quite often it's hastily written they've cobbled it together they've pieced together their own little facts they've added in bits they've kind of changed stuff and it's you know whereas with witness statements it should be accurate whereas luckily with the blackout ripper we have witness statements but even people on the street it's like when they come to the police afterwards a couple of days later they go oh i think i saw french fifi but that's only after the point after they've read about it in the papers they've seen her picture they've read about what she was doing and then they make the connection and it could be entirely wrong so uh the head waiter at the grill room at the criterion restaurant on piccadilly the criterion is the uh restaurant where the blackout ripper used to pick up uh, some of his ladies as well uh head waiter said he saw a woman he believed was french fifi uh 3rd of november at about uh well he said initially around 11 p.m she was with two women who were, who he believed was french it's all of this is believed this is the problem and that she returned at 3 30 of course by that point she was already dead um and that's the problem he was trying to be helpful but the police have to investigate all of these pieces of information and it's just it's just wrong it's wrong so he's not he's not being a dickhead about it he's just trying to be helpful but you know some people go oh i'm gonna help oh, because they want to they want to be able to tell their friends afterwards you know, oh the police investigation yeah they came to me because i'm kind of yeah i think i saw her and i think i've got the key facts to solve it. yeah i've got the key facts um with uh well done michael you are not going to mention his name um the gentleman who sold prophylactics as they call it here preventatives um to prostitutes in the soho west uh, end area uh, he volunteered his information to the police. He said he knew Fifi Martin. A lot, a lot of people do refer to her as Fifi Martin because I forget her surname was Martin. Um, let's go down to the details below. This is the bit I liked. So, twenty fourth of December, nineteen thirty six, just afterwards, um, he offered to assist the police with their inquiries into the murder of Josephine Martin. Um, uh he was due uh he was described in court as an incorrigible rogue that was his criminal offense one of them was being an incorrigible rogue what a sentence we should bring that back uh because he was that's incorrigible rogue is kind of uh false pretenses you know getting things uh, under false pretenses he received four months hard labor for that he'd already got nine previous convictions police stated there was no doubt that this man is connected with all of the criminals in the west end uh, he has on several occasions come to the police station offering information. Uh, 
so uh they wouldn't accept him on that and of course we've got charles branch as well see this one is it was reported in the press that did anyone see french fifi uh she was on archer street um he's a local driver he'd heard that uh she was murdered th- well, no he's outside People always seem to go past the boat and decide, I'm going to shout outside Michael's boat. Utter annoying bellends. Um, so he'd find out that where she where she lived, it was reported in the press uh, that she'd been murdered there. He, he looked at his logbook. He was like, oh, my God, I picked up someone there. Um, uh, Fifi was a small lady. Millie was a small lady. They were both five foot tall. The problem is Fifi was a brunette. Uh, Millie was blonde. Uh, Millie was about 15 years younger as well I think she was uh, early to mid 20s so he kind of got the details right she did go in the right door she did go up to the third floor that's where her flat was but it was the wrong flat but obviously he didn't go up the stairs to follow her to go oh are you going into flat one where the murderer is going to happen later tonight uh so so do you know um, his details could have been good it could have possibly led to the led to the murderer but unfortunately it was her neighbor um as mentioned we got the initial uh in situ autopsy so that's what happened right at the start that's what they always do Uh, when a body is at the scene they obviously don't move the body straight away the pathologist comes in they don't move the body they take all the pictures that they have to they don't move the body and they try and assess as much as they can without making any moving anything at all because otherwise you start losing data so that's what they did at the scene and all of the data in front of them right then suggested that it was a suicide which is why we end with part one with a suicide and we start with this one being a suicide as well um uh, as mentioned it was almost impossible for them to kind of see uh for the people who found her body to see that she'd tied a stocking around her neck because it looks like she was either standing up most likely sitting down but upright on the bed when it was tied around her neck uh as mentioned uh it was tied around her neck part of the tassel and one of the buttons got tied uh, around the knot in her neck that was on her jumper that got tied through and some hairs as well she passed out she fell backwards the rest of her jumper kind of kind of obscured the stocking as well which is why they couldn't see that uh, also the room wasn't particularly well lit you know you got sunlight coming in but when you look at the street uh, it's quite a narrow high street so you can only you only really get sunlight for a, a couple of hours um uh, her mouth was partially open tongue was visible slightly protruding her eyes were almost closed but her pupils dilated her skin was livid and they determined her time of death was about eight to ten hours prior putting her time of death at about between four and six this would later be re-established later on although when sir bernard spilsby initially looked at the body because the timings were all off he initially stated that he thought the body had died at 9 p.m uh which which uh, i mean it's possibility but then you have to discount a lot of witnesses by that point um dr bernie stated uh because he could see no additional bruising by that point there was already bruising caused by the 
uh, strangulation. Therefore, her neck and a kind of a higher portion of her lower part of her face was already kind of very livid, very purple. So it's hard to see bruises going in. He said because he couldn't see any additional bruising, he would have expected bruisings to her hand, her arms, her forearms, possibly her thighs. Couldn't see any of that at all. Therefore, he said it's probably a case of suicide. But when asked, he said he was 50-50 on that. And I actually you know, respect to both of them on this, that even though it, it was difficult to determine, they didn't just jump to the decision and go, well, you know what, it's probably a murder. It's like they were both at loggerheads about this. Spilsbury was like, it's as we know, Spilsbury can be quite... He doesn't like working with other people. He's quite belligerent. He can be quite arrogant. And he like he believes in his own in his own abilities a lot therefore it kind of makes everything sometimes it's hard to kind of accept his evidence sometimes as we've seen in some of the earlier cases as well especially Crippen uh, so uh, Dr Bernie kind of he didn't stick to his guns but he said look there's there's still a kind of a waiver here is it suicide or is it murder and as you can see with the inquest at the end they even said it's it's Murder by persons or persons unknown, but this is on balance of probability. This is not fact. So even at the end, they still couldn't say. They said it's most likely a murder, but, do you know, we don't have evidence to say this is the person that did it. This is how it happened. Um, and that's kind of the tragedy of her life as well. There's a lot of abuse going on. Do you know, she's, she's being beaten up. She's being strangled by various punters who turn up want to have sex with her. with a lot of the assaults that were happening to her prior um a lot of them seemed to be men turning up she would want the money she would want the money in advance quite rightly because you want to get paid in advance and not have him go oh, i'm pissing off now i've had my sex i'm buggering off um but also there's that kind of debate about whether she was slightly because she was finding it more difficult to kind of earn enough money to survive that she was kind of saying that she was she would uh charge this amount but when they turned up she would charge a higher amount so there's a lot of um issues with that as well uh spilsbury the uh, the, the autopsy uh, held at westminster mortuary which is on horse ferry road um it was uh, cause of death uh, asphyxia always trouble to say that asphyxia uh what else we got uh whilst they said oh whilst uh spilsbury did not rule out the possibility of suicide he considered it a case of homicide so even through that it's const constantly flip-flacking around um uh, the suddenness of the unconsciousness accounts for the lack of scratches or struggle. She had either died or was at the point of death when the ligature was passed around her neck. I think after the hand was removed from the neck, she gave a gasp or two and then vomit got into the air passageway. And then her assailant may have then passed the stocking around her neck twice, tied a half hitch and then held it for a while. It remained quite tight. So, um... It may seem like in uh, parts one and two, there's a lot of details in there and things that you think, well, that's not important. But there's there's a lot of details in here that are, that are going to keep coming back again and again as we go throughout the series. So a uh, lot to discover. So it'd be interested to know whether the uh, bruise to her face was 
caused by her murderer that because that's exactly the same technique as as the blackout ripper but uh you know this is not unique to him this is kind of a standard thing for those kind of creepy nasty little wankers who decide to attack women you know uh punch to the face to render them unconscious or kind of dazed pushing them onto the bed he put his looks like he may have put his um his knee onto her abdomen could pin her down as we know with the blackout ripper he would put uh, his thighs either side of the arms to pin them down uh and then he would go for the the strangulation attack of course this is not the blackout ripper um this is i mean we know we know where he was at that point and he, this wasn't him at all uh be interesting if it was though that would be fascinating um with spilsbury as mentioned here i like his little comment there a bit of a quip but he says i've never known a woman to strangle herself with her own hand um he he did actually later state that there was one potential case earlier on in his career in which he thought it may have happened but um he said it's joe it's highly unlikely uh but that the breaking of the dental plate inside her mouth was indicative of murder a dental plate she had four false teeth one of them was missing we don't know where that wasn't found in the room we don't know where that is it may have been missing for ages because her dental plate was old and worn they described it as uh so it may have been partially broken already but it could have been the if it was the punch to the jaw that could have broken the dental plate which is why it was broken and found at the back of her throat uh what else is there the contents of her stomach uh see did she, was she the was she the person who ate the fried eggs there was definitely fried eggs made uh they were cold we don't know whether she ate them before she left it if she left about five thirty, six o'clock or whether she came back later on and ate the eggs um if she did eat them earlier on that kind of makes sense or if she ate them before she went to bed but they weren't found in her stomach all that was found was brown liquid which is likely to be tea as she was she wasn't a drinker um that would ask the question who ate the eggs hmm no signs of sexual assault she wasn't raped she was in good health they uh, said she would have been able to put up a, uh, a good resistance um people who kind of knew her said do you know she may have been little but she was quite feisty um in one of the police reports they describe her as vicious i personally wouldn't there's, there's a longer section in here about how the police kind of describe her and it's i think it's unfair to say the police it is really just the person who wrote the uh that particular report and it's kind of indicative of the kind of that era as well but uh it's uh there's, there's bits and pieces in there the same with uh ginger ray as well where you had all of the prostitutes giving really invaluable evidence as to where ginger ray was in in the hours leading up to her murder but the police discounted it and they said well they're all prostitutes therefore they're all liars unfortunately in this case they did the same they were like well these are all prostitutes or they're connected to uh crimes therefore they can't be trusted but then you've got uh, millicent warren who was a neighbor in flat two who's also a prostitute and they've accepted her evidence as verbatim which makes sense because she was an immediate neighbour, but why why accept one lot of evidence from someone who you regard as untrustworthy? 
you know you either do or you don't or you know as you we we will see with later cases it's clear when they they pick someone and they go right uh i, I like with the 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 man whose name i shall not mention who sells condoms do you know there's a good reason to not trust him because he's he's turning up at police stations going oh i've got a court case coming up if uh, if you uh I'll, I'll tell you the information you want if you help me out and get me a lesser charge apparently that's what he was doing bit of a tit uh what else we got uh lovely comment that i used at the end uh i think it i think it was chief constable howell who actually um gave that comment where he's describing in the report her as just as just as the dead prostitute uh it's interesting because when you read the report with dr bernie he's always described as dr bernie sir bernard spilsbury has given his full title but with the victim it's just the dead prostitute it's just like she's just been just being described based on her the fact that she's dead and her job um what else is there um <laughs> potentially a right-handed assailant um if she would see that's the thing it's they still don't still don't know exactly where the attacks happened because it's so close to her point of death she could have been attacked like an hour beforehand she could have been attacked uh just before she could still have committed suicide it could be she was attacked she fought him off and then she killed herself because she just had enough we don't know because don't forget this is a really difficult moment for her the uh, jimmy or the guy that she loves is has gone away she's really upset that he's not there anymore do you know she's she's had him around for, with him for like three days uh, three three days three years every single day so for her this is kind of a big moment and do you know she's always looking for love but the man that she thinks that she loves isn't there anymore um the missing nine pounds we still don't know i mean some people say nine pounds others say six pounds that she had on her um we know that she did the day before when she gave money to her brother she went to the post office and she as she always did because the people at the post, the post unlike today where the post office closes at like ridiculous o'clock back in the good old days the post office stayed open all night especially in the center of london it was always open so you could go in there and post letters whenever you want to and they knew her really well she would turn up um and they said she'd always send off letters to jimmy or mr james or it was marked but they'd often be to different addresses because he moved to different hotels but um and they remember her coming in she we've got receipts for when uh, she posted a letter to jimmy so that's the day before she was murdered so it's likely she sent him a big chunk of cash um she she often did that she often sent him as much as she could but that letter was never received so unfortunately it's likely that he went to this detox place a new place he'd never been to uh, uh she sent him a letter which had money in it it probably got picked up by someone who was there they opened it up thought it uh, you know shook it went oh sounds like he's got money in it had it for themselves who's going to prove otherwise so um but we know that jimmy was wasn't involved in that because he was in detox and we've got the dates and times when he was confirmed in and he couldn't leave there it's the middle of nowhere and he didn't leave until much later uh let me just see um 
got an interesting anonymous letter received on the 9th of November, five days after the murder, uh, which says, Sir, I have important information to give to you, but I cannot sign my name. French Fifi, who has been murdered, has a brother by the name of French Albert. I like the way they, they give everyone French this, French that. Uh, they are of Russian parents born in Paris and her mother, where her mother still lives. Albert is a rascal who tries to make money quick. Uh, and then he goes on to explain about this uh, club that Albert was working in. Um, he it looked like he was uh, going to go to prison. Normally, he would Albert would turn around to his sister and say, can you pay off my fines and get me out? And this time it was like 50 quid. I mean, she's already in debt to 100 could be part of the uh, part of the her debts uh, she couldn't she couldn't raise the money to get him so he ended up having to go to prison good actually he deserves to go to prison for just being uh, a bit of a twat <laughs> just poncing off his sister all day and given the fact that she's making her money through the sex trade so he's relying on her going out and getting shagged by drunken strangers so she can pay off his debts just because he's shit at his job. What a twat. Uh, anyway, anyway, um, let's do some of the quiz questions. Um, quiz questions. Oh, let's see. Let's see if my tea is. Uh... That's not too bad. Uh, question number one. What colour was Fifi's court shoe? It was blue. Question number two. What was the name of the man who sold condoms to uh, sex workers? His name was Sidney Bloom, also known as Sidney Blumenthal. Uh, question number three. On what street did Charles Branch, the taxi driver, claim he had picked up free Fifi and a tall man? It was Caledonian Road, which is just at the back of uh, King's Cross. Kingsford Station. Uh, question number four. How were fing Fifi's fingernails described? Cor, dear. How was Fifi's fingernails described? Uh, like animal claws. They were long, like talons. <gasps> oh, fishy burps. Fishy, cheesy burps. Question number five. What was the name of the PC first to attend the scene? Uh, he was PC Hill. Question number six. How much money was found in Fifi's handbag? It was 1p. Uh, which does make you kind of wonder whether her handbag was robbed. It it doesn't say in the report that the handbag wasn't open. Um, also, in the report, it says new handbag. So, whether that was given to her as a gift or whether if if it was a new handbag whether she had another handbag and that handbag was missing we don't know there's a lot of, there's a lot of bits in the in the report that kind of aren't there it's like they they forgot to add the detail about whether she was in bed or on bed like they entirely neglect neglect that and because of the way that her body is uh we know that she was lying on the bed but it's just one of those details that they just didn't bother to put in uh, and also also because with uh, a lot of her clients as well, um, she would never get into bed with them uh, because that was her bed. That was her private space. She would have sex with them on the bed, but never in the bed. So her maid said that she never had to make the bed. She never had to remake the bed. She just had to tidy it up afterwards. But if the gentleman paid enough money, she would get in, undressed in front of them uh, and she would get into bed with them. There you go. Details you didn't need to know. Uh, question number seven. How much money was in the electricity meter? 
It was one shilling. Question number eight. Millie's friend, William Charles Hill, went by what alias? It was John Cow. What a lovely name. Uh, question number nine. What colour was Fifi's jumper? It was gr- it was a grey woolen jumper. Although in a couple of reports they say it's green, which is really frustrating. And question number ten. So I've I've gone with grey because more often than not they said grey, but it could have been green. Uh, or it could have been grey green for all I know. And question number ten. Uh, why was it likely that she passed out early being strangled? Because she suffered from low blood pressure. Oh Christ! Oh, right time to uh time to go to uh starbucks uh and do some more work Whoa. glad that was done good anyway i hope you're enjoying uh, the soho strangler next week a new murder a new murder that's the way it goes it goes it goes uh new murder of two parts then new murder of two parts and new murder of two parts then new murder of two parts and the new murder of two parts. Oh, Michael, you've just said five murders. I thought there were five, four murders. Mmm. I give you a clue. There's actually oh, there's actually seven. There's seven murders in total. Fuck's sake. Right, that's me done. <laughs> Have yourself a good week, folks. Stay safe and thank you for listening to the show. Have a good one. Lots of love. Bye bye. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.